I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Guy Barter and today I'm donning a white coat and joining my colleagues in the science department from the Busy Gardening Advice Office. We're going behind the scenes at the -the state-of-the-art field research facility here at Wisley to meet some of the teams investigating pests and pathogens threatening our beloved garden plants. Plus, we'll hear the latest news about emerging threats to be on the lookout for. But it's not all doom and gloom. We'll also bring you news of exciting events coming up this summer, including our annual Dahlia Extravaganza that you can take part in next month. Tucked away behind the newly renovated Heather Garden here at Wisley is Deers Farm, which is a field research facility where RHS entomologists and pathologists are busily investigating causes and cures for major plant problems, pests and diseases. Though it's not open to the public, We were given an exclusive tour around by members of the science team to see what horticultural challenges they're working on at the moment. I'm Paul McAleer and I'm in charge of the field research facility. I'm the research technician. So we've got the main lab, which is where we do all of the analysis, preparation, cleaning, tidying, where we store our supplies and then... We also have our ovens for drying the material because most experiments require dry weight as part of their analysis. We have two grow rooms, which are um, internal rooms that don't have any external lighting. These rooms can be manipulated to have um, different levels of light, temperature and humidity. All is controlled by a touchscreen, which we have up here. This touchscreen allows us to set the parameters and also keep a record of what's going on so we can generate graphs. We'll just go outside and have a look at some of the experiments we've got. We're breeding box tree caterpillars at the moment. Then in front of us, we've got the bee tomato virus experiment. Uh, Then we're going on to honey fungus, which is looking at... We've got privet plants that are infected and there's plants that have both versions of the honey fungus the less virulent and the stronger virulent type and working out if they are combating each other far down the bottom we've got box blight so there's three parts of that there's looking at different varieties of box and once they get to a certain size they'll be infected there's some box blight that came from the garden that's been observed to see how long the regeneration period is afterwards and the final one is to let some of the box get big enough that they can be shaped and then look at how the disease goes through the different shapes so is a round ball worse than a tall 
thin hedge. And then right at the very, very bottom is our slugs trial. My name is Dr Hayley Jones and we're here at the field research facility and this is where I've been running an experiment testing some different barriers to slugs and snails. I chose lettuces as my plant for this experiment because it's one of slugs and snails favourite things to eat, nice and soft and fleshy and definitely anyone who's tried to grow lettuces will probably say that slugs and snails are a major problem. The different barriers that I'm testing in this experiment are eggshells the idea being that they're very sharp when crumbled up and that it will feel unpleasant on the slug or the snail's foot as they try to cross it. Bark mulch, which is very similar, kind of rough and quite dry. Sharp grit, that's like fine gravel, and wool pellets. Wool pellets are called wool pellets because they come in this pelleted form, but when you put them around the plant and water them, they fuzz up into a kind of a mat that's supposed to, again, feel very unpleasant for the slugs or snails to cross and also has a kind of quite a strong smell as well. And the final one that I'm testing is copper. Copper is the only one of these that has had some scientific studies done on it already, but not that much in a real kind of garden setting. We're standing here next to my plot. I've got nine repeats nine replicates of my experiment and each repeat consists of a raised bed and a small kind of mock patio that's because as well as comparing the different barriers i'm comparing how well they work when used on plants in the ground and on plants in pots i've grown the lettuces I started them off as seedlings inside the field research facility because I didn't want the slugs and snails to start eating them too soon. So I got them up to a decent size before I planted them out and added the barriers. And then over the course of six weeks, I've been taking different um, measurements week to week, uh, mostly visual assessments. So I just have a score of how damaged they look, but also counting what proportion of the leaves are damaged. So count how many leaves are in total and how many of them are showing signs of damage. And now that we've come to the end, I've started harvesting and I'm taking more in-depth measures. And for that, I'm using a leaf area meter. This is a relatively new piece of kit that we've got here. And essentially, it's like a light box where it takes an image and then the software can analyse what is healthy leaf that's not been eaten and what are holes in the leaf. I think it'll definitely tell me which of these things is working best at Wisley, but I am interested to follow up and see if we see the same results, perhaps other locations like Harlow Carr, with a different soil type and therefore different slug and snail populations. It would be really interesting to know if, if we see the exact same patterns. And when I've got the results, we'll be sharing it in the Garden magazine, on the RHS website and hopefully on the podcast as well. Deers Farm Research Facility. You can find links to more information about the research of the science teams on our programme page at rhs.org.uk slash podcast. Here you can also find links to all the other items you hear today, including upcoming events this summer, like our fantastic garden flower shows. After its debut in 2017, the Rosemore Flower Show is back again this year, even bigger and better. There are more nurseries, more expert talks and lots of fun and quirky things to do and see, including the British Flower Bus with celebrity florist Jonathan Mosley on board giving daily demonstrations. And of course, there's the Wisley Flower Show too, which runs from the 4th to the 9th of September and again is packed with specialist nurseries, great trade stands, floral art and more.
Plus, if you're a dahlia lover, why not enter this year's People's Dahlia Competition, which forms an essential part of this much-loved show. Hello, my name is Vanessa Penn, the Partnership Coordinator at RHS Wisley, and my role is to work closely with all the plant societies that we have a relationship with to assist them to hold shows here and at other gardens and take part in some of the bigger events at Wisley. In a couple of weeks' time, we will be hosting the National Dahlia Society show as part of Wisley Flower Show. And as part of this, we're again holding our really popular People's Dahlia competition on the weekend of Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th of September. This is a really friendly show and a competition that gives visitors the opportunity to enter their favourite garden and allotment grown dahlias into a competitive class at Wisley, which is really good fun for everybody. It's free to enter for show visitors with first, second and third prizes on both days. And every entry will also have the chance to win the Special Visitors Choice Award, which visitors vote for themselves rather than the judges. We hold the competition because as part of the National Daily Show, they have their own national show, which is full of amazing blooms that they all grow throughout the year. And it's nice to give visitors a choice to enter a competition as well, because dahlias are very, very popular. They're all grown in gardens and allotments all over the country. And it's the chance for people to get involved in a competition, win prizes, get that buzz from coming along to see if their dahlia has won the competition at the end of the afternoon. Dahlias can range from tiny little pom-pom dahlias, which are just sort of an inch across, to huge dinner-sized plate dahlias. Um, so there's a huge variety. There's something that everybody will like. And we're not looking for a perfect plant. We're just looking for something that's in good condition. You don't need to know what it's called. As long as it's free from damage and blemishes, bring it along to the show. Most people grow them on their allotments or sort of in the herbaceous borders. And almost every colour, there's reds, yellows, whites, purples. So whatever colour and size flower you like, there should be something you can grow and you can enter it in the competition. A couple of the winners from last year, we had a very, very deep magenta, tiny little pom-pom dahlia. The prize winner on the second day was a tiny little yellow pom-pom daisy. The dahlia that won the People's Choice competition was a beautiful plant. It was about four or five inches across, very pale cream with bright red edges as if somebody just painted it with a paintbrush. It was very unusual. The judges didn't actually know what it was. You don't need to know what your daily is called to enter it in the competition and win. A couple of tips for bringing a good plant along. In the next couple of weeks, try and protect your blooms as much as possible from pests as slugs, earwigs and deer love them. Wind can also break the stem, so stake it up if you can. And also try and protect it from rain or scorching sun, which can damage the petals. Um, if you need to, stake them up. And also if you give them a good potash-based feed in the next couple of weeks, that will encourage flowers as well deadhead regularly and just do remember that a developing bud is round and a spent bud is pointed and it's very easy to pick off the wrong one so do be very careful with that and if you find a bloom that you think might be developing ready in time to enter the show it's often a good idea to take off all the little buds along the, the same stem so that your one competition entry will grow and become as big as possible and it's best to cut the flowers for the show either in early morning or late afternoon when they're cool and full of water um, and plunge them into water as soon as you can once you've cut them. And on your way to the show, if you can carry the bloom head down, especially if it's a big flower, it will avoid damaging and bashing the petals. So your chances of getting it to the show in good condition will be much better. And don't forget, entry to the RHS Garden Flower Shows is free with normal garden admission. Now, you may have come across various alarming stories in the media this week about our stripy friend the wasp and impending swarms of them approaching. Panic not, say our entomology team. August is regularly silly season for wasp scare stories in the media, but the reality is far less alarming. Here's Dr Hayley Jones again. 
there's no problem with wasps in the UK. Wasps are here every summer and every summer people are like, there's wasps in my garden. They're there every summer. You just don't notice them unless you spend a lot of time in the garden. And when the weather's beautiful, you spend a lot of time out there. There's very little you can do to keep wasps away from you. Keep your food covered up whenever possible because that's what they'll be smelling um, and coming in to try and take. Some people say that you can leave a saucer of jam some distance from you so that hopefully the wasps will go to that instead of coming to you. But I can't guarantee how well that might work. The most important thing is that if they are near you, just kind of stay still and calm because if you flap around or try and swat them, they will get agitated. More wasps might come to try and figure out what's threatening their sister and that's when you might get stung. Wasps can essentially communicate with their sisters in the nest. They release these scents that indicate how they're feeling and their sisters can react to that. So the most noticeable example is if a wasp is angry or scared, then that will very quickly affect the other wasps in the vicinity and they'll react too. No one wants to be stung or bitten or any of those kinds of things. And wasps, compared to bees, are more aggressive they are more likely to view you as a threat if you're near their nest or if they view your food as their food there's not really anything you can do to keep them away which might be unfortunate if you've got a wasp's nest in your garden different kinds of traps are sold but those mostly work by attracting them in so they can sometimes make the problem worse they're just an animal that we have to learn to live with you know they were here first Wasps are a hugely beneficial garden insect, mostly because of pest control. They really can be quite voracious predators when they're trying to gather enough food for their larvae. They will take away caterpillars, they will take away sawfly larvae, maybe even aphids. They will gather up a lot of those tasty insects and take them back to the nest. They can also act as pollinators because the adults like to drink nectar, so they will be visiting the flowers as well. If you've got wasps in your garden, the best thing to do is to stay calm and really just try and observe them and get used to them. And when you see how beneficial they can be in the garden, hopefully that will give you comfort to uh, be more accepting of their presence. There are hundreds of different types of wasps, but only a few of them really look like what we think of when we think about wasps and those are the kinds that make nests and are predatory and can sting. There's lots and lots of other types of wasps, most of them much smaller and a lot of them are parasitic, they lay their eggs in caterpillars or other insects and they develop like that. Like the word wasp actually means a lot more than most people think it does. But in general, the way to know that something is a wasp is if it has a very narrow waist. So between its thorax, which is the body part that its wings are attached to, and its abdomen, it has a very narrow waist. They're usually kind of glossy, shiny, and the wasps that we think of as coming and visiting our picnics are usually yellow with different kinds of black markings on them. As the summer goes on, the queen will start to lay eggs that will turn into the future queen wasps and also the drones to mate with them. And once that process is done, 
the nest has kind of done its job. Those queens will overwinter till next year, but all the worker wasps are not needed anymore. And often the queen will kick them out of the nest, which is why in the early autumn, you often find a lot of slightly irate wasps around fallen fruit. And that's because they've not got a nest to go back to anymore. And they're kind of just seeing out their, their final days feeding on fermenting fruit. So while wasps can be a real pain when they're visiting your picnic or your barbecue, if you can learn to appreciate their beauty and the voracious predatory nature that they have in helping you to control caterpillars and other pests in your garden, then hopefully you can make them a welcome part of your garden's wildlife. Dr Hayley Jones and you can hear wildlife gardener and writer Kate Bradbury giving her passionate defence of wasps in episode 132 of the RHS Gardening Podcast. And finally, a garden problem that unfortunately we should be concerned about, ash dieback. This tree disease is spreading to other species, RHS plant scientists warned earlier this month. So what should we look out for and what can we do to monitor and prevent its spread? My name is Matthew Cromey and I am a plant pathologist based at the RHS at Wisley. So ash dieback is a reasonably new disease to the UK. As its name suggests, it causes a dieback on ash trees. That dieback can be quite serious and can be lethal. The trees can die. So what can you see? There are symptoms on the leaves, black blotches. Often those occur at the leaf base and on the midrib. But the more important infection is on the stems. So that's where you see some black or brown lesions on the stems. Very often they're lens-shaped, so sort of a bit of a diamond lens shape. And that leads to a general dieback, and that general dieback can lead to the death of the whole tree. It's mostly a problem in the east of the UK at this stage, especially the east of England, but it is spreading much more widely, so you can find it in a wide range of areas now. If you want to see on the maps exactly where it's found, as it's found in your area, have a look on the RHS profile, do a search, Ash Dieback, and on that there's a link to the Forestry Commission website, uh, which gives maps of where it has so far been found. There are a lot of reports coming in, so it's a fairly good updated list. The reason it's in the news at the moment, the latest release, is that it's been found on three new tree and shrub species. They've been found tested positive. Previously, it was found just on various species of ash. Now it's found on some relatives of ash, so mock privet, narrow and leaf mock privet, and white fringe tree are the three that it's been found on. So it has a wider host range. Now important to have a look out on those trees if you happen to grow them. If you do find ash dieback, it is important that it's reported because the distribution is still patchy around the UK and it's important that we know exactly where it is present. So if you find it, tree alert is one of the main ways of reporting it. It's an easy way of reporting it. If you have a look on our website on the profile on ash dieback, you'll be able to find the links as to how to report that. But the more information we have, the better. The most important way to avoid spreading ash dieback is not to move ash trees or wood from ash or the seeds, because that's where the fungus itself will be moving from place to place most easily. There are windblown spores. You can't really prevent it coming in, but you can reduce the risk of it spreading. Ash is not available for sale in plant centres now. This is to try and restrict the movement, and it is actually illegal to 
plant ash plants or seeds. So don't plant any more. If you've got it, keep an eye on those plants. There are actually no ways of treating ash dieback, and that's why it's very important that sources of infection are notified to the authorities to try and limit its spread at the moment. If you do make a notification, then you will be given advice on what to do. A good source of information is the RHS website. Uh, we do have an advice profile on ash dieback. So if you just search for that, ash dieback, and you'll find all the latest information on there. Well, that's all we have time for today. The take-home message is to grow as much as you can, I think. Always some problems and losses in gardening, but uh, usually most things grow and are highly satisfactory. So don't be disheartened by this list of pests and diseases. Remember, RHS scientists focus on the problematic side of gardening to help all of us protect the pleasures of plants. Until the next time, from the podcast team and me, Guy Barter, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.